Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. Our special guest is Janier Trump, and yep. she is releasing a book next week, it'll be next week, called Shadows in the Mind's Eye. And normally you wouldn't think of a fiction book as being something to do with self-care. But in her research for the book, she's come across a lot of wonderful information that can help all of us take better care of ourselves. So tell us a little bit about Shadows in the Mind's Eye. So Shadows in the Mind's Eye um, is a story about a young father who comes back from World War II, and he has what we would call now PTSD. And back then they called it battle fatigue, um, which is so not very descriptive of what it actually is. Right. You think of a um, tired soldier when you exactly. think Exactly. It sounds like I just need a nap and I'll be fine. <laughs> right. Um, and so he comes back from the war and he has PTSD he starts seeing things up in the hills and you're not quite sure if he's actually kind of seeing these nefarious criminal types up in the hills of Arkansas, or if you're actually seeing the PTSD getting worse and worse um, for him. Um, so that's the basic story. I once knew a man who is on the Bataan Death March mm. and his family didn't find out about it until decades later when we had a screening at our church on a documentary on Desmond Doss. I don't know if you saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, yes. So it was yes, a documentary I... based on, you know, uh-huh. on Desmond Doss, who saved all those men. After the screening of that documentary, it came out that this man had actually been on the Bataan Death March, and another church member had been part of the group that saved them. And wow. They, rescued them. I believe they met like at the time, but they hadn't talked about it or mentioned it to their families or anything from when it happened until like 2010 or so. It's not unusual, especially for the World War II veterans to come back and not talk about it. Um, So the whole idea of this story actually started when my college professor, his name was Dr. Tom Jones, and it was my freshman year. And he assigned all of us to go talk to a family member about World War II or the depression. And my grandparents were two of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I used to spend a lot of time with them. Um, I actually have a Hoosier accent. They're from a little tiny town in Indiana. So if you get me anywhere down South, I slip into a Hoosier accent, which sounds a lot like you come from Alabama. Um, So (laughs) I went and sat with my grandparents on their porch, front porch over a glass of lemonade. And my grandfather told stories that he'd never told anybody. Wow. Um, amazing. And so that's kind of how my interest in history all started. From that point on, I called my grandmother at least once a month, if not more often. And I filled three or four notebooks with the stories from my grandparents. And so that's kind of how I started getting into history and the ideas um, for some of my stories. That's where it started was with them and talking to them. And my grandfather was what was called a liaison pilot. So he actually flew above the front lines and directed fire for the artillery. Oh wow! And 
seven out of 10 of them did not come back. Um, he was shot down multiple times and he was in the European theater. Um, Mm. but he came back and I know he had PTSD from just the stories that they told. They didn't ever say that he did. They didn't call it anything. They didn't even say he had battle fatigue, but just talking to them and like looking back on how they described it and what he did to cope. I know he did. It came to that point where I was like, how did they come through that on the other side and find some semblance of normal, let alone, I mean, they had an amazing marriage. They had six kids that grew up and are very well adjusted in society. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know how they got there. I have childhood trauma in my background. And so that is always something that I have investigated. I've done a lot of reading on trauma and coming through it and being on the other side of it. I actually started writing this book just with those pieces. And Mm -hmm. then I don't know if you know this, Anita, but I actually set the book aside for almost two years um, because my daughter got very, very sick. Yeah, I remember Um, her being very ill and praying for her in the five minute Friday community. Yep. And, and so that was, I was about three quarters of the way through the book and I just set it aside two thirds, three quarters of the way through, um, because I needed to take care of my kid, (laughs) you know, and that definitely took precedence and coming out of that, um, just layered on for me, another whole layer of PTSD and fear. And I was, I tell the story that it was about a month and a half ago, my son, my youngest, um, was trying to clean uh, like a sticky goo off of some glass. And he was like, here, mom, can you help me? And he gave me some isopropyl alcohol and a cotton ball. And I put the isopropyl alcohol on the cotton ball and I went into a full panic attack. Oh, wow. From the smell. From the smell. Yeah. Because they can, it, smells can be triggers. It, it smelled like the alcohol that they used for my daughter to, to give her IVs or mm-hmm. draw blood or anything like that. And she Long story short, it was really bad. <laughs> they Aww. burned her. They actually burned her veins, and so oh my goodness. IVs were super painful. She had calloused veins on both arms, and Aww. it so. And it took me a minute to figure out why I reacted so strongly to it. So some of that ended up in the book. Then my working through my PTSD that was even more recent ends up in how Annie. So my two characters are Sam and Annie and their husband and wife, and they're married, how they interact with one another. And of course my daughter has PTSD (laughs) from everything that she went through too. So I have those elements as a caregiver. So I gave those, those feelings of just absolute helplessness. I gave that to Annie and Mm. how she worked through that and processed that and how God uses our bodies to heal ourselves and how you walk through that. And then of course, Sam has all of the PTSD from everything that he went through in the battlefield. The thing with my stories is I always, I, I always say that there's always hope at the end. And one of my main characters, her name is Debbie May, and she's probably my favorite person that I have ever written. And she's kind of a mentor character to Sam and Annie and walks with them. It's Sam's mom. One of my favorite concepts from her is that light 
um, shines through the broken places that light can't shine through something that hasn't been broken first. And it's in those dark places that we see the beauty the most. And sometimes that's a perspective that we can't have while we're going through it. It's sometimes a perspective we can only see in hindsight. Cause I will tell you, I could not see it yeah. when I was walking through things with my daughter. And, um, if y'all are listening right now and you're struggling to see the good stuff, that's okay. It yeah. really is. It's okay. It can take a while. It, it's going to take a while and you do what you got to do to get through. And so I gave Sam some coping mechanisms. There wasn't treatment back then for PTSD. Self-care was like a, what, what are you talking about? Kind of concept. Get your work done and yeah, that'll take care of you. Like buckle down and buck up buttercup, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, Sam does struggle and his brother deals with it in, in, in a different way than Sam does. And in some ways not as healthy, <laughs> um, but Sam finds his space to be able to deal with things out in the open spaces. And that is actually something as I did research and digging in to find ways that Sam could heal without modern techniques like EMDR and all of the things that are out now that are so helpful. So I gave him, they live out in the middle of nowhere in Mm. in the country so he can go roam and walk. And that has been proven to help symptoms of PTSD. That's actually how they started EMDR was. It is. The woman was out walking and noticed that the, the bilateral movement along with letting her eyes track back and forth. Exactly. Exactly. Something um, for her. So. I, it, and it's amazing. I love how God has built our bodies to heal itself. Yeah. Um, and of course we all need help sometimes. And I exactly. am the first one to say, yes, God heals us. And sometimes he uses modern medicine to do so. Exactly. Um, <laughs> or modern psychology. Or, or modern psychology or all yeah. of the things that are out and available to us. And we all react differently and we all need different things. I did that research too. And I found that little nugget that EMDR actually started with that rhythmic bilateral movement of mm-hmm. walking, just that simplistic yeah. thing. And so I actually gave that to Sam. So Sam and his younger brother, when he, when Sam or his brother are struggling at the end of the book, they go off and they go for a walk and Annie recognizes that he needs that and lets him, and she's put a support system in place to be able to care for their younger daughter while he goes and takes the time that he needs. And so it's this, it's a picture at the end of the book of, you know, there is, there is a way to get there without having to do self-destructive things Things, to numb yourself to the pain and the frustration and the fear that goes along with PTSD. I think that's the biggest thing for me that I'm learning right now is that grasping for control uh, (laughs) of my situation only creates fear and, and dealing with that core issue right now is where I am at personally. Um, You fear that, that any sniffle a child has might turn into a another life's threatening situation. And yeah. I went through that. I, I had caregiver PTSD as well. And it took me a long time to recognize I had it. He was circling the drain multiple times, according yeah. to the doctors. Um, he yep. had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then it, it went to his brain. So it oh my goodness. Blood, blood brain barrier. And he had been in remission like three weeks before. And then he started getting these horrendous headaches. It had gone to his spinal fluid. 
and up into his brain and paralyzed one side of his face. Oh my goodness. Uh, all kinds of things. He had to go to San Francisco to get treatment. It was a thousand miles away. Oh my my parents moved in with us so they could take care of our girls who were eight and 10. And I traveled back and forth. My dad would sub for me when I was gone. And then when I came back, I'd work and I get a phone call. It's like, he's not going to make it. You need to come down. And so I'd hop on a plane and go down there and be with him and he'd live. And then, you know, crazy, crazy stuff. He had a stem cell transplant on January 3, 2003, and he's been cancer-free ever since. But for the first five years, every sniffle, every headache, every ache, every pain, they're like, oh my goodness, it's coming back. Are we going to do this all over again? Yeah. And I think for me, I always tell people that I know what's possible now. And like you conceptually know when you haven't gone through something that, you know, God may take your kid, but it's not something that you viscerally feel. Right. Um, And so just acknowledging that he can still be good and still allow really bad things to happen is a really hard, hard place to be when you've been so close to that actual loss. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the thing that I'm learning now is that those questions, because I'm not shaking my fist at God. I was angry at some point. Right. <laughs> I will say that, but I didn't stay there. Right. And that's, you know, one of my friends was really very, very worried about me. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay here because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, yes, I'm yelling at God, but that means I'm talking to him. Exactly. And if I'm in the same place two years from now, then you can be concerned, right? But I'm moving forward and I'm taking steps to get to a better place. And, and that's where the people that have never been where we have been, um, it makes them nervous. Right. <laughs> it makes them very nervous to have somebody be okay with their own doubt. Right. Because that means it's not squeaky clean and easy. I love the C.S. Lewis quote <laughs> in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's Beaver, and basically says, no, Aslan's not safe. What are you talking about? He's not safe. He's a lion. He's a lion. You, know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but he is good. Exactly. But he is good. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I keep going back for me and that, and for my characters too, you know, no life isn't safe. Right. We're never right. promised safe and we're never promised easy. We are in fact promised the opposite. Trouble. Exactly. You know, when bad things happen, yeah. um, you know, but finding the place where I can say, I still trust that you're good. God, I still trust that you're good. Yeah. I think, I think it involves going through the grief process, which seems yeah. really strange when you're talking about someone yes. who survived, yes. but you do have to go through the grief process because you're grieving everything that changed normally, you know, change is incremental and, you know, your kids grow up and there's the slow letting yes. go of them or, you know, your marriage matures or whatever else. And when you have a catastrophic illness happen in your family, no matter what the outcome, you have to grieve what was and what you missed out on. So, you know, Pedro missed out on a lot of important things in the girls' lives. He was basically incapacitated for almost a year. 
And there was a lot of change um, mm-hmm. during that time in them and in me. And so, yeah, you, you have to go through the grief process and people have to understand that it's okay if you go through the grief process. It's okay yes. if you're depressed and sad after your loved one recovers. And you know what? To some extent, if you're not, then are you numbing out? Right. right. You know what I mean? Like that when people are like, oh, you know, it was fine. I'm like, you're either lying to me or you're numb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's kind of my reaction. Like, I know that there are some people that, that probably are really okay, but it always makes me wonder. Yeah. Um, makes me nervous. It's like, when is this yeah. going to show up and how will it manifest itself? Yeah. Because it's going to show you, up. One of my favorite, so I have two favorite resources mm-hmm. um, that um, really helped me as I was walking through, through things. And Laura story is the first one. And she wrote a book that I cannot think of the title right now. <laughs> okay. I'll look for I'm, it. Of course, but it is based on her song blessings. You no, know, mm-hmm. what if life's difficulties are your blessings and disguises kind of right. the, the main part of this, of the song. And it's her story and her story is so hard and difficult. And that was the only book on grief and struggle and that type of a thing that I didn't throw across the room while I was going through everything with my daughter. And it's basically the myths that we believe about God and the problems that it causes our faith while we're going through crisis. So it, and she has earned everything that she says in there, just from everything that she went through. Mm-hmm. The second one I read more recently, it was probably about a year ago and it's called try softer by Andy Kolber. And I adore that book. It's very, very concrete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's in the title, try softer instead of trying harder, try right, softer. Right. give yourself a break. She's a counselor and she's been through a lot of trauma herself. So she gives you a lot of tools. My copy, there's sticky notes sticking out all, all over. over the place and dog ears and everything. Cause she has practices that work really, really well. And they're all like contained in one book that is sweet and kind to you and your mental health. That sounds um, like an excellent book. I'll have to leave a link oh, in the show notes to that one as well. It's fantastic. And I, she actually just released a workbook that mm-hmm. I haven't gone through yet, but I'm, I have it on my next time I have money I'm, and I'm going to put it in toward a book. I'm going to buy that <laughs> because I think it would, would work really, really well. But I use the practices that she gives in there quite often mm-hmm. and they've been really helpful to me. I wish I had had it earlier so that I could have gifted those to my daughter when she was going through stuff, but you use what you have and you do the best you can, you know? Exactly. And that's, I think one of my regrets is that I was the the person who denied that I was having a problem. And so I couldn't see the struggles that our daughters were going through. I remember their pediatrician asking me, so, you know, how, how are the girls? And I'm like, oh, they're fine you know, we're all fine. And that was like four years after. And then when they hit puberty, suddenly they were not fine. And they're still dealing with repercussions of those cancer years. If I just would have known that they should have been in counseling, um, that I probably should have been in counseling. We should have been going to support group. We should have been doing all these things. But, you know, I kind of grew up in the era where you you didn't go to counseling, especially if you were a Christian, because- you know, you can just pray and that will take care of everything, but it doesn't. 
nope. Um, it's, it's a great aid, but you know, sometimes we need more. And yeah. the book that I have old dog-eared is The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, yes, I have that one too. And yeah. it, Andy's book and The Body Keeps the Score dovetail beautifully together because I feel like The Body Keeps the Score tells you why right. you do what you do and why your mind and your body do what they do. And then Andy tells you what to do about it. Oh, perfect. So, and she actually references some of the same studies and Mm -hmm. types of things. So they dovetail beautifully together. I used the body keeps the score. I used a lot of that in Mm -hmm. shadows in the mind's eye, just because when I'm dealing with characters, I really dig into them and I, in essence, become them as as I tell the story. That's why all my books are in first person. Um, I had somebody ask me why, why that's unusual. Why are you doing two point of view. So two people telling the story and first person, mm-hmm. and that's how they tell me the stories. Yeah. Um, that, that is what they say. So the body keeps the score really helped me get into Sam's head because even though I deal with PTSD, my PTSD is not battlefield PTSD. It is exactly. different. It is different. And I'm the first to acknowledge that, yeah. <laughs> but my PTSD gives me a lot of empathy and sympathy toward the people that have battlefield PTSD. It was an interesting study as I walked through body keeps the score. I had so many aha moments (laughs) where I was like, Oh my goodness. That explains why I do this. I do that. And I didn't even realize that it was related to my trauma. Yeah, You know what I mean? It just totally caught me off guard and it gave me grace for myself in a lot of ways, you know, that it wasn't something that I had to defeat, so to speak, you know, to to go after that and dig it out of my soul kind of thing. It's like, no, that is a, that's something that was started as a protection for who you are. My counselor was like, you know, just because it isn't doing what you want it to do anymore doesn't mean that it's bad because there are times when you need that, those exactly. reactions. And so you just need to tell that part of yourself that you've got it now. Yeah. I've, I've learned, I've learned to handle this. So yeah. Calm down body. Yeah. And- you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to like, one of the things that I do tend to do is like that, um, the mama bear pops up inside of me and I don't necessarily go after people because I know that's not okay, but it churns inside of me and eat and I eat myself up. You know what I mean? And so now I recognize when she pops up and I'm like, Hey, mama bear, you know, you are not a little kid anymore that needs protection. Right. My daughter's 16. She, she's got some darn good coping mechanisms that yeah. she can, she can take care of it. It's been an interesting journey that I never really expected. I've heard authors often saying things like, oh yeah, everything that I wrote are things that I learned mm-hmm. as I was writing. <laughs> and that's really true. Yeah. And it's a good, bad thing in a lot of ways, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, you're, I mean, your characters are so much richer because you were on a journey to deal with PTSD and you had a daughter who was experiencing trauma, just like Sam and Annie's daughter. Yes. Experiences 
trauma on a regular basis and they have to have life-saving measures in order to save her over and over again. Yeah. So those were just spot on. And I didn't even think about the fact that <laughs> I, I, I interviewers have been asking me questions and I keep going, I didn't even realize I did that. <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that Rosie had all of the medical trauma until you just said it. And oh, I was really? like, oh, yeah, I did That's that. That's why she did. Yeah. It's <laughs> unconscious, folks. It's just yeah. part of when you're writing a story, it, you really do enter into those characters and they say things that are just kind of buried in your unconscious. The whole light breaks through the broken places, the thing that Debbie May says. Mm-hmm. One of my girlfriends was, I I had written that quote out and put it out on social media. And she was like, that's something you would say. And I'm like, I kind of did say it. (laughs) I did. She's my character. (laughs) She is my character. You know, Debbie may end up being kind of the counselor of that book, but yeah, she's, she's an awesome character. She's actually built after one of my really good friends, her grandmother. Oh. That's so, cool. Yeah. It's yeah. always I gave her is her her name was Debbie. It wasn't Debbie May, but uh-huh. um it was Debbie. The characteristics of Debbie mm-hmm. May are borrowed from the stories that Sarah tells me about her grandmother. So. Oh, that's cool. What what did you learn about coping with grief and betrayal and other big emotions? Oh about researching and writing the book. Because it sounds like you learned an awful lot and it shows up in the characters. So is there any takeaway for the rest of us? So I, I think one of the things, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think one of the things that's really important to understand is that everybody's grief journey is their own. And all of these characters are grieving something. And I think that's true of all of us. We are all grieving something. We are all struggling with something, whether it's a capital T trauma or a lot of lowercase T traumas that build up. We all have things to grieve. And it's okay. Wherever you are, it's okay. Just keep moving forward. Take those little half steps, take three steps forward and two back. It's okay. I think one of the things that is super important is not only to accept where you are in your journey, but to accept where your loved ones are on their journey. And Annie gives Sam the grace to do what he needs to do to heal. And of course, do not ever accept abuse. (laughs) And that is one of the things I make very clear in the book. There is, there is a moment where Sam is unacceptable Mm -hmm. in his behavior toward Annie and they both hold each other accountable for it. That was super important for me to have that in the book because Annie is like, we are not doing this. And Sam is like, I am not doing this. (laughs) I'm going to go like elsewhere. And I figure this out before I ever put you in a place where this could happen again. Um, Cause Sam, ultimately he's a good guy. He is a good, good man. And he loves Annie and he loves his daughter. And he is absolutely destroyed that he is in this place and he will do whatever it takes to get out. So don't ever accept abuse, but do give people the space that they need to, to be able to figure it out. I will tell you, I am very grateful for my husband (laughs) who gives me the grace to figure it out because, oh boy, do it sometimes. (laughs) There are times when I'm not a nice person. Um, Can I just be honest about that? I think all of us can say that. There are times when I'm not a nice person either. (laughs) A a lot of times. A lot of times. And I mean, most people would be like, what? You're, you're nice. What are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, 
you're not my husband. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't see me, me at my worst. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there is that, that balance, you know, giving the people that you love the grace to be able to heal and the space to be able to figure it out and the knowledge that sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Right. You know, I mean, exactly. it, okay. Not sometimes almost all the time. If you, especially if you're dealing with a lot of trauma, it is a lot of time going to get worse before it gets better. And that's okay too. And that's part of that journey too. Cause it takes time to realize you need help and, and then it, to accept that you need help and then find the help and then accept the help and then act on the help. Yep. And, and the process it just, it's, and it's so the weight is so heavy that even, even when you walk into it and say, I want to do this, I want to get better opening you've at least for me. And I think it's fairly true for a lot of people. I've stuffed a lot of things in the trunk and kind of hidden it away in the closet. And when you open up that trunk, everything comes flying out at your face. Right. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. (laughs) Me spring cleaning is not pretty. And whether you're spring cleaning your emotions, especially your emotions, um, it won't be pretty for a while. And, and And it's okay. okay. Yeah. It's okay. All right. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and where we can connect with you and where we can order a copy of Shadows in the Mind's Eye. So if you can spell my name, you can find me. Okay. (laughs) J-A-N-Y-R-E. And then T-R-O-M-P. You got it. And that is me. That's my website. Um, my website is janairetromp.com. I am Janair Trump on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and TikTok. <laughs> so that's, that's where you can find me. I love interacting with people. My tagline is celebrating beauty, even when it isn't pretty. So you will see me looking for beautiful things, even when my life is a little stressful or out of sync or whatever. I love nature. So there's a lot of Instagram is my, kind of my happy place. There's a lot of, you know, pretty pictures of my, I live in the woods. And so my backyard and my crazy animals, and it's kind of a happy place, Instagram. And then Twitter, if you happen to be a writer, I do a lot of tips on Twitter. I'm an editor by trade. So I spend my days editing and then my nights I spend split between my family and then writing. Shadows in the Mind's Eye is available wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon right now. If you're pre-buying before April 19, bakerbookhouse.com has the book on sale. It's 25% off and free shipping. And I'm an artist. So I watercolored some prints and then there's postcards with the the prints free to everybody who pre-orders from Baker, but it, it should be in stores everywhere. I just got noticed that books a million is carrying it in stores. Um, and if it's not in the store, they can order it. So um, it's your independent bookstore. If you don't have an indie bookstore near you bookshop, I don't know if it's .com or .org now that I'm saying it out loud, but bookshop is online and they give 80% of their um, profits to the closest indie bookstore to where you are located. Oh, that's cool. So if cool. you want to support an indie store and you don't have one near you, that's a great way to do it. Very cool. Awesome. I highly recommend this book, especially if you have experienced any trauma in your life or if you have a relative who fought during World War II or any war actually. 
it keeps you turning pages because you never know what's going to happen next. And it just kind of shows you all the different ways that we deal with trauma and how important it is to be kind to other people because we just don't know what traumas they've experienced. And we don't want to be a trigger for other people. We want to be a place of refuge. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. And congratulations on your book, baby. It's very exciting. Thank you you so much. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for listening, everybody. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together, we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.